Spring is in the air at Global Voice Broadcasting. Fresh new shows are hitting the airwaves every day. Shows about all the things that matter to you in your life. Music, fashion, celebs, and more. It's all here, and it's getting better every day. Only at Global Voice Broadcasting. My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin. A spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Sexy Talk, a.k.a. Dirty Talk, has a reputation for spicing up the bedroom, but did you know that it has been proven to increase pleasure and even bring some folks to orgasm? Yum. Here's what's even sweeter. It doesn't have to only happen between the sheets for you to benefit. Research published in the Journal of Social and Personal Relationships in 2012 showed that the more comfortable we are talking about sex in general, the more gratifying our sex lives become. But what if you're not comfortable? If that's you, trust me, you're far from alone, and there's plenty of hope and sexy fun for you to be had. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I cannot wait to explore this topic and more with a guest I have been wanting to interview for a long time, writer, feminist, and sex educator Ashley Mentas extensive resume includes work as a liaison between crime victims and district attorneys, reproductive health center assistant, phone sex operator, how cool is that, (laughs) e-commerce manager for a pleasure products retailer, and founder of a website that provides information about sex and cannabis, which is such a fascinating topic. She published her first e-book called A Feminist Guides to Phone Sex in 2014, and her nonfiction essay, Growing Through the Yuck of Having Herpes, was featured in the Best Sex Writing of the Year anthology in 2015. Her candid observations about living with herpes are part of her extensive efforts to promote acceptance and break the stigma surrounding STIs. She travels all over the place. I love watching her adventures online. She's to speak, to consult, to research, but she can always be found on her fabulous website, ashleymanta.com. Thank you for being here, Ashley. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me, August. I'm so excited to be here. This is way fun for me already. I as soon as you walked in, first of all, I love your shirt. And tell us what you're you're holding here, this beautiful plush. Yes. Um, I'm holding a plush vulva puppet. It is such a great conversation starter. Do people ask you? Do they say, hey, is that a vulva? Usually they say, is that a vagina, which is a good teachable moment. Absolutely. And then I say, yes, it is. And I give them a quick pleasure-based anatomy tour, which is something that we don't get growing up. We just hear about death and babies. So true. So, so true, which I know is a big motivator for you and for me and for people who work in the sex-positive industry. Tell us how you got started early on on the path to becoming this guru that you are. Thank you. I actually got my start in an unexpected way. I'm a sexual assault survivor. And I was sexually assaulted when I was 13. And it really shaped the way that I saw sexuality and my relationship to sex and my worthiness was really hinged on my ability to get attention from and to please my partner. And it was just in a really unhealthy place for me in general. And so when I got to college, I told my story for the first time at a Take Back the Night rally. 
And it was so empowering to like reclaim my narrative and to be able to make it my story again and not something that happened to me. And I started focusing on trauma and learning all about like, if I could dissect this thing that I was experiencing, I would be able to understand it and then I could conquer it. That was my plan. Mm. And so I did a lot of work in sexual violence prevention early on in my career. And after working in the district attorney's office, which was incredible and so meaningful, but also highly burnout heavy, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I need to go and become like empowering people's sexuality and like the the happier, more pleasurable side of sex. And so sort of switched tracks. Wow. Awesome. And so now you work as a coach, you do consulting, you speak. Do you have a focus in your work? Do you still work with sexual trauma victims? Is it kind of a whole variety? It's a little bit of a variety. When I go to colleges, I always work um, sexual violence awareness and prevention into my talks. I talk a lot about consent, and I love doing that work um, from a primary prevention standpoint. But I really love working with people who are you know, coming to terms with their sexuality and trying to figure out what they like and trying to figure out how to negotiate great sex in their lives. And I want to empower those folks to really find their hell yes. Beautiful. And I love that it comes from this very exuberant standpoint, because I feel like a lot of the material that is out there, and we need the clinical information. Absolutely. But I remember being lectured at, Mm -hmm. you know, with these medical drawings and a lot of warnings. And to have somebody who's fun, you know, educated and educating and fun. It's such a different, because it should be. It should be fun. It should be very fun. I have to ask you about sex and cannabis, because I think I mentioned this to you. I am the most rookie you could possibly speak to, because I have never smoked pot. I've never even smoked a cigarette. Actually, I smoked, I don't think this counts. I got secondhand pot smoke once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I've been around it. Sure. I had roommates who would smoke it in New York. And at that point, I didn't even know what it was. I went home to see my parents, and they were like, have you been smoking weed? And I was like, oh, that's what that is. Right. And uh, so I never I never tried it, and uh, I did notice, you know, you can get some feeling from being around the smoke and all sure. that. But I wonder, how does that pair with sexuality? Oh, my gosh. There are so many ways that sex and cannabis can play together when done intentionally and deliberately and responsibly, of course. You know, it's always my my mantra is negotiate before you medicate. I like that. Because, you know, much like alcohol in terms of being an intoxicant, you want to make sure that you're very clear on your boundaries and your needs and like kind of set a container before you start putting substances in your body. Um, now, n- cannabis does not affect in like consent the way that alcohol does, but it's still something that you want to be aware of and be mindful of. And it can be so empowering to say, hey, baby, like, let's let's roll a joint together and pass it back and forth and blow smoke in each other's mouths. Or if you don't want to actually smoke, you can give a uh, an oil-infused back rub. You can Ew. use Foria, which is the THC-infused coconut oil sex spray, uh, who makes the shirt that I'm wearing, Legalize Orgasms. Okay. So good. So and the oil, is that <sighs> made out of cannabis? It's made with cannabis oil, specifically THC oil, and coconut oil mixed together. Ah, so you do get the effect from it. No. Or no? That's the cool thing. When you spray it on your vulva, it doesn't get you high. So why would you spray it on your vulva? Because it gets your nerves high. Oh, really? (laughs) So you don't have any kind of psychoactive effect, but it wakes up your nerves. THC is a vasodilator, so it brings more blood flow to the area. It makes your nerves more sensitive. And like if for people who have been high, touch can feel really incredible when you're high. 
And so you take all of that really incredible feeling and localize it to your vulva. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. So I imagine the effect on orgasm also, arousal <laughs> and orgasm. It's magical. Wow. And for men, people with penises as well? People with penises, unless they are uncircumcised, because that you ha- it has to absorb through a mucosal membrane. Mouth, okay. anus, vagina, and inner vulva area. Um, but also the ass. So if the person's uncircumcised, they'll have that exposed membrane from their foreskin. But since most penis owners in the United States are circumcised, they have to go rectally, which I fully support anyway. I think so, too. It's And actually, that ties a little bit into a question from a listener I'm going to share later. Who's not tried some of the different kind of anal fun. I love anal so much. It's great. And and again, what, what did you say? Responsibly and negotiate all of that mm-hmm. before. And I suppose if somebody's new to, to either, maybe using um, weed. Can- Do you prefer cannabis? I like cannabis because it's the um, Latin term. It's, it's the plant. Marijuana mm-hmm. has a lot of um, really problematic. Uh, there's a lot of cultural baggage associated with it because yeah. there was this whole smear campaign in the early 1900s and long story, but cannabis is generally the preferred vernacular in the industry. Okay. Or pot or weed or herb so or they all, ganja they all or whatever. Work. I like <laughs> cannabis though. It does like, have like a respectful kind right. of sound to it. And and obviously it's not legal everywhere yet, but you can get it medically. You can. So that's how you're able to get it here. Yes. Right? I have a medical card in California. And I remember when it became legalized and there were pot shops all over the place. Oh, and yeah. then they like disappeared. So it's been a, a battle. It has. But I think it's a really wonderful thing you're speaking about because I had never heard it talked about as far as sexuality and, and a, a way to increase pleasure and, you know, connectedness with yourself, with another person. That's pretty cool. There is a sexologist out of San Diego, um, Nick Karras, who's been doing some research about sex and cannabis. Um, but a lot of it's been research-based. And I really want to take it from research into practical. How does this affect my daily life? And how can we talk about this and negotiate about this in our relationships? Interesting. I could see that happening. And I think it's it's so timely. I think it's time for that conversation. And you're the perfect person to be oh, talking you. about it for sure. <laughs> I know you had an article you said came out recently about your experience with Uh, with an STI. Yes. Could you talk a little bit about that experience? Absolutely. So I was diagnosed with HSV2 genital herpes in 2009, and I thought my life was over. Everything I knew about STIs was that herpes was the worst, and like it was just this side of okay because you couldn't die from it, but like otherwise it was the worst STI you could possibly get ever, 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 and no one was ever going to love me. And that was like what I was taught from an early age. And because we have so much shame around STIs in our culture. And I, you know, sort of shakily dialed my boyfriend at the time's phone number. And I was like, um, I think we might. I Yeah, we have herpes. Wow. Were you having symptoms? I thought it was razor burn. Ah, uh, OK. Wow. So thank goodness you went in to get it checked. Thank goodness I wanted to get it checked. And... And thank goodness that my partner, who I disclosed to, was incredibly supportive. He could have completely lost his cookies over it, and he didn't. He said, it's okay. I kind of thought that's what it was. I still love you. You're still the same person today that you were yesterday. We're going to get through this. Wow. And I was like, oh. 
Isn't it amazing when one person is supportive? Mm-hmm. It because if not, and I've I just saw a documentary about sexual trauma on college campuses and mm-hmm. dealing with trauma, and they made the wonderful point that if somebody comes to you and they have been sexually traumatized, if you believe them right away and you're supportive right away, they will their chances of healing and moving forward are so much higher. Absolutely. And I'm sure the same thing with STIs to have somebody just say, you know what, we're, we're in this together and what do we do now? It was a really great first reaction to have. I got my share of shitty reactions afterward, after he and I parted ways, but I kept kind of going back to, okay, maybe this isn't about me. Maybe this isn't even about herpes, really. Maybe this is about societal stigma and whatever biases they have going in. And once I kind of made that distinction, it became less personal. Yeah. That's really true. I think there's so much stigma, and it's it's amazing how you said even after going to the doctor, mm-hmm. did you feel like this was the worst thing? Like, Absolutely. Did you, what did your doctor say to you? <laughs> it was actually the nurse practitioner on campus, and she told me to get dressed, which is never a good sign. I was like, man, if you have news to tell me that I can't hear naked, <laughs> this is not good. <laughs> oh, no. um, and she's like, so, yeah, you have herpes. It's a thing here's a fact sheet, off you go. Like, there was no, like, how are you feeling about this? There wasn't any real support. It was just kind of matter of fact, cut and dry. And like, and I'm like, I don't know what to do with this information. And so I went home and, you know, cried my eyes out. And and now, looking back, I actually see herpes as kind of a gift. How is that? Because it's been an incredible litmus test for prospective partners. If I disclose to a prospective partner and they're like, ew, that's gross. Goodbye. Goodbye. That's probably not somebody I want to be boning anyway. Amen. That is so, so true. What a good point and what a very positive reaction. And the fact that you've turned it into activism, as you tend to do with your experiences. What are some of the main things that you hope people hearing your story take away I would love people to know that having herpes doesn't mean that your life is over, specifically not your sex life. I am having more sex today than I have had sex in my entire life up to this point. And I am completely out about having herpes. I'm out about it on the internet, obviously, on the radio. And that's actually allowed me to cultivate more quality people in my life. I love that. That's beautiful. I'm going to share something that I haven't shared, not because I have shame around it, just because I don't really think about it very much, but I was diagnosed with um, oral herpes, Mm. but I got it genitally. And I had a pretty intense reaction at first. Mm -hmm. And I remember feeling also very alone and afraid, but instantly going to like research, you know, and there is now good research out there. And I haven't had many symptoms at all since. Um, But what was interesting is I think you actually posted this. There was something about the history of herpes, I think, Mm -hmm. you shared online. Yes. And it was interesting to me because it talked about how herpes 1, herpes 2 were, like, separated at a certain point. And, like, one is okay. Like, it's okay to get it in your mouth and have a cold sore. Right. But if you have something down there, you're going to hell. (laughs) Yeah. That is really crazy. Oh, yeah. There's so many myths about it. So many. And so management for you, uh, is it something that you have to 
take medications or is it kind of I know that symptoms flare-ups can reduce over time, as I understand They it. do tend to reduce over time. I take medication because I'm non-monogamous, and it's just kind of an extra level of comfort for my partners. Um, because any time that you are, uh, how shall we say, vigorously stimulating the area, <laughs> yeah. that could potentially cause a risk of transmission. Like, it could kind of get your nerves shake it away and, sure. and cause a, an outbreak. So it's much easier for me and it kind of gives me peace of mind to know that I'm taking suppressive medications every day. But that is by no means something that you have to do. You could take yeah. supplements like L-lysine, which is an amino acid that promotes membrane health and encourages um, viral dormancy. Dormancy? Did I make that up? I totally made that up. I understood what you meant. So <laughs> okay, it cool. works. It works. Um, <laughs> it encourages the virus to be dormant. And so you could do that or you could just do nothing. And your immune system will also kind of take care of itself over time. I'm also kind of anecdotally exploring whether or not cannabis has helped me keep my outbreaks at bay. Because the last time I had an outbreak, which was about a year and a half ago, I sprayed Foria, the THC spray, on my sore and it went away, like, way faster than it normally does. Interesting. So I have no science whatsoever to back that up, but it's a theory I'm exploring. It sounds like one to pay attention to, be yeah. curious about, for sure. I love it. Thank you for sharing that whole story. I think it's so important for people to to hear, as many people as possible. Well, thank you for sharing. Like, that's really incredible. Oh, it's it's my, my pleasure. And, I, and actually, when I was thinking about possible, you're talking, and I thought, you know, why do I have I never really said this? I mean, it's not even, it's something that I, I just think, as you said, there's so much shame around it. So much. And actually, when it ha- when I realized that I had this, um, I told a, a good girlfriend of mine, and she immediately started crying and told me that she had genital herpes, and she'd never told anyone. Yep. Anyone. And she also hadn't read any research because she was too scared. Absolutely. And I think that's common. It's I think very common. Do you find that a lot, that people mm-hmm. don't want to know what they don't know? Because they do. They think it's going to be some fatal illness or, or something that they can't manage. Because even the more serious STDs and STIs are more and more manageable. They're so manageable. When I first made the decision to come out about having herpes on the Internet, it was a direct result of meeting Reed Mahalko who is this incredible sex-positive educator and relationship coach and and is sort of one of my role models in life. And he is very open about living with herpes. And I was like, I want to do that. And so I did. And I met Adriel. uh, Reed introduced me to this guy named Adriel Dale, who runs an organization called the Herpes Opportunity. And they have these weekend retreats for people living with herpes where you come and it's like a shame-busting boot camp. Wow. Two and a half days of like really intense connection with other people who are living with herpes, some who just got diagnosed, some who have been living with it for decades, and really vulnerably sharing and connecting with other people and like creating this community around it. Because as Adriel says, shame cannot exist in community. I love that. I and love so that. I just, I want so many more people to like find these communities because I would hear these. Folks who came to the the weekend saying they'd never told anyone in their entire lives. They cry themselves to sleep every night. They some of them were actually like suicidal mm. because they were so convinced that herpes meant that their sex lives and lives in general were over. Oh. And it just broke my heart. And so like I want people to find these communities so they know that they're not alone. 
That's beautiful. And I'm sure people listening, because it's very, very common. So common. I think it's like 50% of people At or something least, like yeah. that. And it's probably more because that's reported. Exactly. Cases. So if you're listening and you're going through that, just know you're so not alone. You are not alone. No reason to have shame or to have shame about having shame. You no. know, I think there also can be a tendency to go, I can't believe I was so ashamed I shouldn't be ashamed. Instead <laughs> of saying, this is my journey. And right. there's so many factors that influence how we feel about our bodies and our sexuality sure. that are completely not our fault. Absolutely. You know, and it's, we can decide to change. Exactly. We can decide. Uh, speaking of which, uh, we have a wonderful question from a listener who asked a question specifically for Dr. Megan Fleming, who's our sex and relationships Excellent. therapist. And uh, here is the question. Hi, Dr. Megan. I have been dating a great guy for about six months and things are getting serious. Most of our relationship has been long distance, but that will change soon. The issue I'm having is that he's a lot more sexually adventurous than I am. Lately, he's brought up things for us to do together that I have to Google because I've never even heard of it. One example is an anal plug. I haven't told him I'm this vanilla. I just play along and pretend I know what's going on out of embarrassment. I'm afraid he'll think I'm boring if I tell him I've never tried anything other than a few positions. And I'm admittedly terrified of branching out sexually as much as he wants to. Can you help a girl out, Georgia? Georgia, thank you for asking this question. I think it's really brave, Mm -hmm. especially because you are struggling and and in the space of feeling self-conscious. Thank you for asking this. I I passed it on to Dr. Megan, and I'd also love to hear what Ashley has to say. Here's Megan's response for you. Georgia, I'm happy to help you out and uh, thankful for the question because, honestly, you're asking it is going to help so many other women out there. Um, You know, it's striking that in our country in 2016 how uh, many women just aren't really uh, aware and have great sex education. and most of them, there was a study recently in looking at uh, British college, college students where 60% of them are getting their education from porn. Um, in fact, this past weekend in the New York Times, in the opinion column, there was an article which is worth checking out by Peggy Orenstein, um, date was March 19th, which was, when did porn become sex ed? And conversations between adults and teenagers is about what happens after yes remains rare. So I just want to highlight that whether we call it vanilla or not, it's just that so many women just don't have a lot of uh, helpful information about uh, sexuality because predominantly in our country, it's been abstinence only education in middle school and high schools. And of that actually only 23 states mandate sex ed at all. And of those only 13 require it to be medically accurate. I mean, can you believe that? Medically accurate. So, uh, thankfully, Obama's trying to put through in his 2017 budget that there will be no federal funding for abstinence-only education. So we can certainly be hopeful for younger women that they're going to have more information and feel less embarrassment just discussing ultimately which should be about sexual sex, pleasure, mutual touch, uh, reciprocal touch. Um, so I think a key point here is to recognize, no, do not go to porn for your sex ed. A great book I would recommend is from Paul Jahanides, and it's called The Guide to Getting It On. Um, it's been through many editions, and it's probably, it's like about 900 pages, maybe even be to 1,000 by now. Um, so everything from sexual health, protection from STDs, to sexual positions, I think it's a great resource. Um, and I think coming back to your question, it's so important to recognize that, you know, we all come into a relationship having 
not only different uh, sexual experiences, but also sexual preferences. So I find as a sex therapist, what happens is everything he likes to do and is on his menu, we take the two menus, right? It's on his menu and on your menu. And in general, only the things that overlap become part of a couple's sexual repertoire. Um, and it's also true often if you try something for the first time, it could be role play, it could be anal sex, that if it doesn't go well, usually that also falls off the menu. And so one of the things I'd encourage you and everyone out there is to recognize, um, first of all, we come to a relationship only knowing what we know. And we're curious and we want to explore things with our partner, but in a way that can feel good to both of us. So one of the things I talk about is yes, no, and not for now. You know, write out and think about or share fantasies of all the things that you've experienced or would like to experience. And then just sort of go through and say, you know what, yes, I'd love to do that. No, not right now, this moment doesn't feel right to me. And then not for now, meaning, well, let's definitely, in fact, we should always be revisiting these conversations three months, six months, because things change over time. Um, and the other thing I often educate around is what I call red light, yellow light, green light, right? So a red light is, no, it feels painful, it's uncomfortable, it's a, it's a red hard stop. Yellow is like, oh, I'm a little uncomfortable with this, but let me just, you know, breathe, stay here, sit around. Like, again, the light can go green and then it's like, okay, let's keep on. Uh, and a green light's a definite, this is in our sexual repertoire, this is in our wheelhouse, this is a great go-to turn on for us both. Um, so I really want to encourage all couples to explore what is their yes, no, not for now. What is their red light, yellow light, green light? And I think importantly, back to your question, that you don't feel pressured because, uh, of course, we want to please our partners. Um, and it's, you know, it's so important that it's just to honestly say without embarrassment, this is what I know. This is what gives me pleasure. I'm open and receptive to try things on. Uh, because it sounds like you know a lot and I really I'm curious and I want to know more of what gives you pleasure and at the same time respecting yourself your body and recognizing when and if because I don't know and you don't know until you try it if it doesn't really feel good to you certainly if it's painful uh, if in any way it, um, it it just in your body doesn't feel right that you honor that and that you communicate that because I think that is the most important thing we could do in our relationships is keep that open and honest communication. And then together you can absolutely explore um, a sex life that I think is gonna be enriching and uh, pleasure, give you a sustainable pleasure for both of you. So I hope that helps and answers your question. And uh, anyway, would love to, to hear more and keep me posted how things go. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I loved what she had to say about communication mm -hmm. and, and, you know, really being open about your comfort and desires because what struck me about Georgia's note wasn't that, oh my God, she's so vanilla. That's mm -hmm. not, that never even occurred to me. No. It was that she's struggling to, she feels she can't tell her partner. Right. And I've been on both sides of the spectrum where I've been the less adventurous one mm -hmm. and the more adventurous one. Sure. And I have found that it's a beautiful thing to share a journey with someone no matter which side you know, that you tend to be on, whether it's um, somebody who's trying out new things, it be, kind of comes new again for the other person. It does. Yeah. So what, what would you have to say to Georgia? Oh, Georgia. Hi. Thank you so much for writing in because it's really challenging to ask for help. And so rock on for you. I completely agree with 
90% of what Dr. Megan said, except for one thing, which was that porn can't be sex ed, which it can be if it's designed to be. Jessica Drake has a series called The Wicked Guide to Fellatio, Positions, Blowjobs, yes. Plus Sex, Anal. Has all of those things. Nina Hartley has instructional DVDs. Tristan Taramino has instructional DVDs. And those are all sex educators who are also porn performers. So not only are you getting the really solid science information, but you're also getting to see it, which is incredibly valuable when you take it out of like the theoretical context and see how it looks on a body. Yes. Oh, I love that. Thank you for mentioning that. Jessica Drake joined me um, in my first year. And here, she's amazing. And I love that she has one video specifically about women's masturbation. Yes. And I think that also for Georgia would be a great avenue because even though she's concerned about this relationship with her partner and being sexually adventurous with her partner, sexual adventure starts with us. Mm -hmm. And so... I think it's a really beautiful thing to also start, you know, if, if she's comfortable experimenting with her own body. And I think that would be a great a great way to go. Totally. Also, books, um, Guide to Getting It On is amazing. I also love Allison Moon's new book, uh, Girl Sex 101. Oh, cool. It's anyone who identifies as a girl. So it also speaks to trans bodies and intersex bodies and gender nonconforming bodies, which I love. Yep, and too. it's anything that you want to know about vulva pleasing. Awesome. I love that. I love that. And this is a great, Georgia, thank you for this, because it also ties right into our next topic, which I really wanted to ask you about phone sex and talking dirty and talking sexy and all of that, because it's such an important topic. And I feel like that's another one that's kind of taboo. So first of all, could you tell us about your phone sex career? Because honestly, when I think phone sex operator, I think of what they show in the movies where there's like a woman knitting and she has curlers in her hair and she's eating ice cream and she doesn't care and I know that's not what you were doing so could you tell us of the time (laughs) what was it like oh it was so much fun when I first moved to LA in August of 2013 I didn't have a job Uh, my partner had moved for his job because I wanted to live in Southern California and I was like what am I gonna do what can I do to start getting income quickly and a friend of a friend hooked me up with a phone sex uh, operator job through a company And it was so cool. Like, I was already very comfortable with sexuality, which, of course, is a really important prerequisite. And I'd been told that I had a phone sex voice. I was like, what does that even mean? (laughs) And then I understood. It's definitely a compliment. (laughs) And so I would, you know, when I first started, I did dress up. Like, I would put the heels on and the lingerie and, like, kind of act as if. Then, you know... You do a couple in yoga pants because you do. It's just a thing. You're on the phone. You're on the phone. No one can see you. You can describe these incredible outfits of latex and leather that you're wearing. Really, it's all about your imagination. So the details aren't super important as to what you're actually wearing. But I do encourage people to be present. So knitting, doing the dishes, scooping cat litter, not a good thing to be doing (laughs) while you are trying to have phone sex. Like lay down, sit down, be somewhere comfortable where you can kind of get centered, get into your body and start to really tap into like what's going on for you. Mm, I like that. And what are some of the tips for brand, brand new people who feel, because I think starting is probably the hardest part. Starting is so challenging. 
So, so how do we get going if yes. we've never done it before? Step one is to notify your partner that this is something that you're interested in. <laughs> Don't just bring it on. Don't just like <laughs> mid-coitus be like, yeah, suck my dick, baby. Like, <laughs> whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> like, I actually had something like that happen to me once. And it was a really, 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 really shy guy. <laughs> and it was before I started on my girl boner journey. And it was the most shocking, right. strange thing. I didn't know. I was like, he must have read some book or something. Because right. it was like a completely different person came out. Right. So I can see that being helpful. Like you just kind of get whiplash. You're like, <laughs> what did you just say? Yeah, Because there's nothing wrong with it. It's great. Right. It's just you want to give your partner a heads up before you start spouting diatribes in the bedroom. <laughs> yeah. So having a conversation like, as Reed Mahalko likes to open them, I have an idea. Coming from a place of enthusiasm and kind of joyfulness. And you tell them, I, you know, use this interview as your starting point. I just heard this interview on Girl Boner Radio, and I thought it might be interesting to incorporate dirty talk into what we're doing. How does that sound? Mm, I like that. I like that. Do you recommend, because I think the term dirty talk is so vague to people, Mm -hmm. and we think, is it just like cussing a lot? Is it, it can be so many, take so So many different forms. Do you think there's ever a place for like scripting, or is it kind of? Absolutely. Yeah. When I wrote my phone sex guide, I put in like adult Mad Libs, where you just fill in the blank. I love it when you blank my blank. Ooh, I like When that. you blank, I feel blank. So it's like all of those kind of communication hacks, but you just make them sexual. I like that. And I think it's really helpful, too, because I've heard and read, I believe there was a, a study, I can't cite it right now, that showed that people tend to have a really tough time talking at all. Yes. About or during sex, like at all, Mm -hmm. with the partner. And I remember before kind of my aha moment and starting on the sexual empowerment path that I was having sex with someone and I had never talked about sex at all with anyone. Yeah. And I think that that's pretty normal and pretty common. So it could even start, you know, not necessarily when you're having sex. Maybe. Oh, I would encourage you to do it when you're not having sex. Okay. It's a good clothing pre-talk. Like, before you get naked, just like any time you negotiate, you know, you want to negotiate when you are completely present and not having an agenda. Because when you're naked, you want to kind of rush through the negotiation so you can get to the perceived fun part. And I want people to think about the negotiation part as part of the fun part, Mm. just with clothes on. So foreplay. (laughs) Foreplay. And the beauty of that, too, is it could start at breakfast time. Oh, yes. It could start with a text message. Oh, my gosh. Emails. Yes. As long as, again, there should sometimes be a warning because you and I, we could get these texts anytime. But if you work in a really corporate setting and it shows up on your computer desktop. Yeah. So there are certain things to be mindful of. I have to be mindful of that when I'm texting some of my lovers who have those corporate jobs because all of a sudden seeing a picture of me with my mouth open that says, please, baby, can I suck your cock? <laughs> It's real awkward in board meetings. <laughs> yeah, you think. Or it makes it a lot more Or it makes it a lot more entertaining. Well, it's funny for them. And then they're like, great, now I'm trapped at my desk and I can't get up. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> That's really, really funny. Um, so having that conversation um, and going in with enthusiasm and saying, okay, you, ha- well, you want to figure out parameters. Like, let's create this really great container within which we can play. Like, I want a playground that has swings and a... a 
seesaw and all of the things. And once we create that, then we can play however we want. So figure out what words you want to use, what words completely turn you off. That's really important. If all of a sudden somebody's like, I want to lick your twat, and you're like, huh, wow, what's on Netflix? <laughs> <laughs> that is such a good point because people really are you know, sensitive to terminology. Absolutely. And it also, it might just crack you up, which is okay. Which is totally fine. I mean, I think we should all be able to laugh during sex and yes. it's, it should be funny sometimes and it's totally, and, and not to see that as a failure, right? No, not at all. I see <laughs> laughing during sex as a victory. Yeah, that is awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> so tell us what is happening next on your horizons. Oh my goodness. There are so many things kind of happening all at once. Um, Right now, as of this morning, I've been spending a lot of time planning my 30th birthday party next month, uh, to which you are clearly invited. (laughs) Um, It's going to be sex and cannabis themed, because of course it is. Awesome. And uh, so far I have Foria sponsoring, and I write for Leafly, and um, they're going to send us some swag, and my dispensary is going to come and vend, and like... Amazing. It's going to be so much fun. Wow. (laughs) So that's been like a huge, exciting thing. Yesterday... Uh, Nina Hartley and I actually shot some sex ed videos together. We are going to be doing some really cool videos, and we're also going to be uh, going out to colleges and doing speaking tours across the country to anyone who wants us. Amazing. Which uh, should be everyone, just saying. Yeah, (laughs) y'all, put in a request. How can, if people are listening and they want you to come to their college, like, is there a way, would they contact you? Would they contact their education? Um, They would contact their campus. Uh, Usually student groups have a budget and uh, like the Health and Wellness Center, the Women's Center, the Gender Studies Department. Those are the folks that generally bring speakers to campus um, if you want. Nina Hartley and me, you can go to ninaandashley.com. Or if you just want me, you can go to ashleymanta.com. Awesome. I love that. That's so exciting. Yeah. So that's a lot of fun. And um, gosh, what else? I'm writing for Leafly. I am their sex and cannabis columnist. And so last week they flew me up to Seattle and I got to meet the folks at the office and do a, a workshop in the office for them talking about communication and Uh, pleasure-based anatomy, and we really geeked out about all sorts of fun stuff. What a badass job you have. I love it. I love it so much. That is so awesome. (laughs) I love it. Thank you so, so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And again, so the best way to be in touch with you, what's your favorite social media, everything on your website? I am on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook the most, uh, at Ashley Manta on all of the above. And uh, you can email me, ashley at ashleymanta.com, or through my website. Beautiful. Y'all have to do all of those things if you aren't (laughs) fans already. I'm sure many of you already are. Uh, If you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes and leave us a simple review and a rating for show extras and a whole lot more, including a photo of the lovely Ashley. Hop on over to augustmclaughlin.com. For inspiration from a variety of women who've cultivated sexual empowerment in their own lives, myself included, make sure to check out my new book, Embraceable. That's available on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, and iTunes. And if you read it, I would love to hear what you think. You can always reach out. Thank you so, so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. 